1: can't go on. Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is Cutting Through the Matrix on the 5th of October 2012. For newcomers, make sure you can use the website cuttingthroughthematrix.com. There's lots and lots of uh, audios for free download there. You'll see a bunch of sites listed on it, too. These are all the official sites that carry free audios for download, and they all carry transcripts in English for print-up of all the talks I've given over the years. And if you go into AlanWattSentinel.eu, you'll find transcripts in other languages. Remember, too, you are the audience that bring me to you because I don't bring on advertisers as guests who terrify you and then sell you things to save yourself and I depend upon you, the listeners, to just keep me ticking over because I'm not building any big uh, organization here at all. And that's the only way I can really keep clean from uh, all the temptations that are out there to, to get much, much, much bigger. So if you want to buy the books and discs at CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com, you can uh, buy them, going to the website CuttingThroughTheMatrix.com. You find out how to do it from the U.S. to Canada. You can still use personal checks, remember, or international postal money orders from the post office, or send cash, or use PayPal. And across the world, it's Western Union Monogram and PayPal once again. Straight nations are awfully welcome in these austere times as we go through inflation and austerity. It's all mixed together, you see. It's planned that way. And what I do is, to I say, I go through this stuff from the past, and bring it up to the present to show you that nothing's happening today that wasn't planned a long time ago. Nothing at all. Nothing. Not one single part of anything that's happening on a major scale uh, that wasn't planned a long time ago, sometimes a hundred years ago, right down to the cultural changes. You must change culture to devalue life, you understand, and to get the public to accept the fact that life is cheap. And there's ways to do it, which have all been done already, and uh, then you start convincing the public there's too many of them. And once you've done that, you bring in, uh, sterilization policies, et cetera, and various other techniques to make sure they never bond for life or have children. That's a big push because you see, we're under world management and we have been for an awful long time. It started off in London, England, and then they gave a half their branch over to the US to fund and promote through the different foundations that were set up there. These tax-free foundations are owned by the biggest bankers in the planet international money lenders in fact to nations and under philanthropy they are the parallel government that runs the world there's not a facet of life to do with whether it's military or social sciences or anything else that they're not into they're into everything across the world planning the future always planning the future to ensure that the proper race or as or, or, you call it to call it the race you see the superior biological entities that they are, come through into a good future and leaving all those of lesser breeds behind them. And I'm not kidding about that because they've written about it themselves. Lots of stuff starting off in the 1700s and escalating from them. And you're living through a planned society uh, with planned uh, demography to do with population distribution, uh, consumption, sustainability, sustainability, Fertility, infertility, infertility, all of these things are all combined in it, in it, this big business plan. And they really see the world and all of the little businesses collectively as one huge enterprise that they own. Understand? That's why they're so interested in making sure they control all of it across the planet. And where at one time the U.S. used to send missionaries across the planet handing out Bibles, today they, hand, they send out a professors and NGOs uh, from universities to convince the public to go for sterilization in third-world countries and to get little little cards and coupons if they do that where they can withdraw cash, etc. Maybe glass beads would be better. Back with more after this break. Hi folks, I'm back cutting through the matrix and uh, talking about this idea of demography and population scattered across the world and you would not believe how well studied all of it is from the Rockefeller Foundation and all the other foundations that work in cahoots across the world to bring in their big plans. As I say, uh, they can always use the cattle, those they intend to sterilize and they will die off. They can use them when they're young to fight their wars, because they have a lot of wars to fight too, to standardize the world under this big world enterprise system. And then they die off, as I say, and most of them won't have children. And uh, so they, they can kill two birds with one stone. And they do this all the time. We're so micromanaged, it's just incredible when you go into the different university facilities and faculties dealing with all of these, they call them problems, the human problem, the aging problem, the fertility problem, all of this. But it's all problems apparently to do with humans because it's tied in with what they call unsustainability, a good contract to make you think there's a good reason for trying to kill us all off, you see. And they brought the whole global warming idea up, up, up to, to, to bolster this whole idea. It's always been eugenics, always will be eugenics. And they'll use many different reasons to try and legitimize what they're doing. And it's, it's plausible to some people who have low IQ. But it does work, and they are working at it, and they have been doing it, sterilizing whole peoples uh, across the world. I've mentioned many of them over the years to do with even in, in places like Peru and so on where the UN goes in with their NGOs and mass sterilizes thousands and thousands of women and uh, and nothing's done about it. They didn't tell them what they were actually doing. They lied to them and told them we're doing something else. This is quite common and they feel that they have the right and the duty to go ahead and do this to them to, to save the world from being overrun with the lower classes. And it's always the lower classes that they're on about. Now, Another part of it, too, is internet security and homeland security. It's from their own site. And it's the only growth industry, I think, left in the U.S. It's homeland security. But it says, uh, cyber security is becoming an increasingly more daunting challenge as governments try to prevent attacks against critical infrastructure on in which the well-being of countries depend. Now, several European countries are trying to come together in an effort to defend themselves against a cyber attack. But critics say the project called Clean IT goes too far. And it says... Um, says the proposal show, uh, uh obligating Internet companies to include anti-terrorism features in their software and set up hotlines with law enforcement agencies to report such issues. The proposal also uh, includes Internet filtering and virtual policing, which have some civil rights and privacy advocates worry about tr- Internet freedom. These uh, advocates argue that voluntary but binding agreements between Internet users and Internet service providers would compromise this freedom. According to the leaked document, the goal of Clean IT is to develop a set of general rules and practices that the private sector can follow through non-legislative guidelines. The rules would take effect between six months and two years of an Internet organization committing to the recommendations and rules. Other rules would include implementing a virtual reporting button, a web browser or operating system, social media patrolling, increased sharing of information among ISPs, automated terrorist activities detection systems, and content blocking filtering with subscribers using their real names online. So it's a big, big push again into where it had to go from the very beginning because it was planned that way. And uh, uh, most locals stay on the Internet because they're now addicted to it. And I said this years ago, that's what they do. They give you lots of porn and everything will be free. And then they'd start putting in the rules. And once you were hooked, you see you'll still stay with it, no matter uh, what they do with information they're getting from you. And it's it's already here. It's all happened and quite a fast span of time, too. Now, in the U.S., as I say, the only growth industry seems to be homeland security, but we see that the U.S. middle-class families are without enough to eat, and it's from uh, the BBC News, of all places. It's uh, surprising because they're not doing enough of them uh, you know, interviews with people in their own countries in Britain uh, to do with uh, food banks, etc., and how bad it is there. Anyway... It says, throughout the 2012 presidential campaign, the BBC has returned to Levittown, Pennsylvania, to explore issues facing America's middle class. At a basement food pantry in suburban Pennsylvania, 2,000 pounds of food are given to roughly 160 families a week. The majority of families come from the Levittown neighborhoods, an iconic planned suburb that once ushered in the era of post-World War II American dream. They always give you dreams, mind you. That's why you always wake up from them. But times have changed, and even in quiet, leafy suburbs, families now struggle with the basic needs of food and shelter. The number of residents using food pantries has risen dramatically over the past few years and throughout the country, and the county, it says. Even those who have jobs can still find the cost of living too high to make ends meet, as the BBC's David Botti reports. I'll put that one up, and you can read the rest of it if you're interested at all. And this article, too, is uh, to do with handmade humans uh, may hold the key to saving the world. Now, again, it's it's a sensationalism piece that these guys who are are trying to promote themselves as a big science, these guys who are eugenicists and bioethics, and to do with, again, population reduction, are using all techniques to get into the major media and to use conning techniques to to get to get into the lower IQ types to try and get them to agree with what they are trying to push. A lot of folk have fallen for this, you know. But it says building Earth-friendly people, altering humans may be a safer option than trying to alter the planet. And, and this guy too, uh, I think is uh, is a professor who wrote this here. And it says uh, human-induced climate change. So it starts off with that is one of the biggest problems that we face today. So this is your premise, which is false. that's how they always start their premises with false premises. Millions could suffer hunger, water shortages, diseases, and coastal flooding because of climate change. The latest science suggests that we may be near or even beyond the point of no return. And then it says, some scientists and policymakers are therefore proposing we take seriously the idea of geoengineering, that is, large-scale manipulations of the Earth, such as spraying sulfate uh, aerosols in the stratosphere to alter the reflectivity of the planet. Well, they've all been doing that since 1998. It says one might be able to use um, pre-implantation genetic diagnosis to select shorter children, you see. He says, I suppose we could consider another solution to the problem of climate change that has not been considered before, and is potentially less risky than geoengineering. Elsewhere, my colleagues and I have called the solution human engineering. It involves a biomedical modification of humans to make us better at mitigating, I was going to say midgeting there, and adapting to the effects of climate change. Then he goes into a proposal that he makes. Let me make clear that human engineering is intended to be a voluntary activity, just as voluntary as the mass sterilisation of people across the world without them even knowing. This is possibly support, uh, supported by incentives such as tax breaks or sponsored healthcare. You know, little bribes, just like giving beads to the Indians. The same stuff, you know rather than a coerced mandatory activity. My colleagues and I are positively against any form of coercion of the sort that the Nazis perpetrated in the past, and they're way beyond that level. Also, this proposal is intended for those who believe that climate change is a real problem and who as a result are willing to take seriously geoengineering. Someone who doesn't believe that climate change is a real problem is likely to think that encouraging people to recycle more is an overreaction to climate change. Finally, the main claim here is a modest one, namely human engineering should be considered alongside other solutions such as geoengineering. The claim is not that human engineering ought to be ad- adopted as a matter of public policy, so attempt to encourage outside the box thinking vis-a-vis seemingly intractable problems. And it goes on to pharmacological meat intolerance. It says the UN Food and Agriculture Organization estimates 80% of the world's greenhouse emissions and CO2 comes from livestock farming. Now, they've always said that from 100 years ago, by the way, they want to eliminate all uh, farming livestock for the ordinary folk to have access to in their early papers. Never change. They never change their agenda. It's just close to 9%. Then they give you all these little figures that they dream up to try to blame it on animals and so on. Some experts estimate that each of the world's 1.5 billion cows alone emit 100 litres to 500 litres of methane a day. I said, that's good stuff for firing your car up, I'll tell you, because at used to run that in World War II in some countries. It's really clean, burning stuff. It says, now some people will simply refuse to give up eating red meat. However, there are others who may be willing to give up, but they lack the motivation or willpower to do so. After all, many people find the taste of red meat simply irresistible. Human engineering could help here. It says, just as some people have a natural intolerance to milk or crayfish, it's possible, artificial, to induce mild intolerance to red meat by stimulating the immune system against common bovine proteins. See, you got to understand, this, this is an old thing. They actually use your immune system against you uh, when they're sterilizing you. That was one of the first techniques they used when they gave out the so-called free tetanus shops from the World Health Organization. It altered the immune system to therefore an attack any fertilized egg as a foreign body but also ended up uh, causing massive inflammation in the ovaries. They, they don't like to mention that part and, and actually sterilize permanently millions of women. But here's the thing. These bio biowarfare techniques, yeah? Stimulating the immune system against pov- uh, common bovine proteins. That's what they can do. The immune system would then become primed to react to them and hence for eating eco-unfriendly food would induce unpleasant experiences, maybe like anaphylactic shock, you know, Even if the effects would not last a lifetime, the learning effect is likely to persist for a long time, training you like you are an animal, you see. A potential safe and practical way of inducing such intolerance may be to produce meat patches akin to nicotine patches, and people can then wear these patches before they eat uh, to curb their enthusiasm for red meats. I don't know what you'd like to patch this guy with, you know, feather featherum. I think that's what we should do. You understand, you're dealing here with mad psychopaths who have got, got power. Do you understand what I'm saying here? This is not some little fellow just fantasizing here. This is a guy on a big, big wage attached to the World Health Organization and many other societies who are wanting to carry out all these policies, and have already done a lot of these policies and carried them out. I'll come back with this next idea uh, after these messages. (music) Hi folks, I'm back. Cutting through the mid East reading an article about bioethics or eugenics, if you like. The guys who are actually at it, really at it, really practicing their work throughout society without the public knowing. And uh, this guy goes into, it's a sensational piece too, is to get folk talking about it, you see. That's why he's got all this in it. Now he goes into the munchkins, you see. Human ecological footprints are partly correlated with their size. We require a certain amount of food and nutrients to maintain each kilogram of body mass. The larger one is, the more fuel and energy one requires. Larger people also consume more energy in less obvious ways. A car uses more fuel each kilometre to carry a heavier person than a lighter person. More fabric is needed to clothe large, uh, larger than smaller people, and heavier uh, people wear shoes, carpets, and furniture more quickly than lighter people. You can see he has been to college. You know, a way to reduce this ecological footprint would be to reduce size. Since weight increases with a cube of length, even a small reduction in height might produce a significant effect in size. He says, how could height reduction be achieved? Height is determined partly by genetic factors and partly through diet and stressors. One possibility is to use pre-implantation genetic diagnosis, which which is now employed in fertility clinics as a means of screening out embryos with inherited genetic diseases. It says, one might be able to use pre-implantation genetic diagnosis to select shorter children. I guess they would just abort all the larger ones. This would not involve modifying or altering the genetic material of embryos in any way. It would simply involve rethinking the criteria for selecting uh, which embryos to implant. Also, one might consider hormone treatment either to affect growth hormone levels or to trigger the closing of the growth plate earlier than normal. Hormone treatments already used for growth reduction in excessively tall children. That's like agomegaly, which is a a pituitary gland problem in the anterior lobe. Anyway, finally, there's a strong correlation between birth size and adult height. Gene imprinting, it says, where only one parent's copy of genes is turned on and the other parent's copy is turned off. It says it has been found to uh, affect birth size. So drugs or nutrients that either reduce expression of paternally imprinted genes... Or increase the expression of maternally imprinted genes could potentially regulate uh, birth size. The last two methods are controversial as they involve making irreversible choices for one's children, but parents are permitted to give hormone treatments to the children who are otherwise perfectly healthy so that, for example, a daughter predicted to be 195 centimetres tall could instead be 183 centimetres tall. On what grounds should then we forbid other parents who want to give hormone treatments to their children so their children could be 152 centimetres instead of 165 centimetres tall? It may be thought that in the case of the former, the daughters would later appreciate and consent to the parents' decision. But if climate change would seriously affect the well-being of millions of people, including one's children, then these children may also later appreciate and consent to the parents' decision. It's also worth remembering how fluid human traits such as height are. A hundred years ago, people were much shorter on average. That's because they couldn't get enough red meat to eat. And there was nothing wrong with them medically. We should be wary of the idea that this is an optional optional height, namely the the average height in our society today since this may simply reflect a status quo basis. It goes into lowering birth rates through cognitive enhancement. Another way to reduce ecological footprints is to lower birth rates, he says. There are, of course, many available methods of curbing birth rates, such as use of contraception, but strong evidence that birth rates decline as more women receive adequate access to education. While the primary reason for promoting education is to improve human rights and well-being, Is it really? Fertility reduction may be a positive side effect of tackling climate change. In general, there seems to be a link between uh, cognition and lower birth rates. In the U.S., for example, women with low cognitive ability are more likely to have children before age 18. Hence, another possible human engineering solution is to use cognition uh, enhancements such as Ritalin and Modifilin to achieve lower birth rates. As with education, there are many other more compelling reasons to improve cognition, but the fertility effect may be desirable as a means of tackling climate change. Even if it, the direct cognitive effect on fertility is minor, cognition enhancements may help increase the ability of people to educate themselves, which would then affect fertility and indirectly climate change. Now, here's the part about altering you making you altruistic, which means obedient and stupid. It says many environmental problems are collective action problems in which individuals do not cooperate for the common good, you know, the greater good of all, all that stuff. But it says, but if people were generally more willing to act as a group, we may be able to enjoy the sort of benefits that arise only when large numbers of people act together. Pharmacological induction of altruism and empathy may help here. So we've got drugs in that, that will give us, make us more altruistic and stupid. It says there is evidence that altruism and empathy have biological underpinnings. For example, test subjects given the prosocial hormone oxytocin were more willing to share money with strangers and to behave in a more trustworthy way. They want to give that to all the taxpayers, by the way. Also, a noradrenaline uh, reuptake inhibitor increases social engagement and cooperation with reduction in self-focus. It's like taking ecstasy Furthermore, oxytocin appears to improve the capacity to read other people's emotional state Which is a key capacity for empathy This suggests that interventions affecting the sensitivity in these neural systems Could increase the willingness to cooperate with social rules or goals In other words, dumb and stupid You see? Again, I'm not proposing that we, we coerce someone to take up these pharmacological measures. Instead, there might be someone who wants to do the right thing. The right thing is to obey your masters, right? But owing to a weakness of will, cannot get himself to do the right thing. Having the option, do you want to be turned into munchkins, say? Eh? Having the option to use pharmacological means to increase altruism and empathy may allow this person voluntarily to overcome his weakness of will and enable him to do the right thing, which is obey the masters. These these examples are intended to illustrate some possible human engineering solutions. Others might include increasing our resistance to heat and tropical diseases and reducing our need for food and water. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network. Because you can handle the truth. Hi, folks. I'm Alan watton through a crazy guy. He was a eugenicist, actually a professor uh, at a university. He was getting well paid and lots of grants from big foundations and so on to push all these policies to get rid of the unfit. Basically, that's what it's all about. Remember, they didn't come up with the idea of global warming until the Club of Rome seized on it. They were given the task of finding a reason to justify all their pushes for eugenics and so on. And they hit on that global warming, except would fit the bill, They said. So, as I say it 's nothing to do with global warming anyway you something to say here, this character uh, that uh, human engineering could also be liberty enhancing in response to climate change. Some people have proposed we adopt something akin to china 's one child policy. For example, a group of doctors in Britain has advocated a two child maximum, but suppose that the relevant issue is, is some kind of fixed allocation of greenhouse gas emissions for each family. So in other words, the punishment rewards, you know, if you have too many children. If so, given fixed allocations of greenhouse gas emissions, human engineering could give families a choice between having one large child, two medium-sized children, or three small children. Human engineering seems more liberty enhancing than a policy that says you don't only have one or two children. See how these clever bastards change reality in such a slick way for, for people with not too high an intellect, you understand? It may turn out that human engineering is, is not the only way to tackle climate change, but to concede this now would be to ignore the widely acknowledged fact that we do not know which solutions to use. Blah 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 blah. As Ma- uh, Matthew Leo, is the director of bioethics, which is eugenics program, and an associate professor in the Center for Eugenics in the Department of Philosophy at New York University. You see, that's his job to sit and get big fat paychecks for dreaming up this kind of rubbish to coerce the public, that they claim there's too many of the wrong kind around the world, because that's how eugenics started up, remember, that they were too worried at the top, that the lesser kind at the bottom uh, would overtake the ones at the top. So it's never changed since then. Then there's one here called uh, the myth of overpopulation. And economists claim that overpopulation is causing poverty in underdeveloped nations. In the Philippines, there's an initiative to control the burgeoning population by forcing family planning onto the citizens. Uh, it says Josefina natividad director of the University of the Philippines Population Institute, explains, if you increase access to contraceptives for women, you will have births averted. Again, she's, she's had some training at school, too. The UPPI began with a grant from the globalist think tank, the Ford, uh, Ford Foundation, in 1964. They've been at this forever. They influenced the Philippine government with research and coercion to push population controls agendas with a focus on its impact on local and international communities. The UPPI works with United Nations-sponsored non-governmental organizations to receive technical assistance in providing reproductive health products and do lots of abortions as well. A reproductive health bill is being pushed by Catholic priests in the Philippines that is expected to slow population growth. The Church asserts that this will lead to the ideal, that abortion is a viable way to keep more children from being born. Father Melvin Castro, Executive Secretary of the Catholic Bishops' Conference of the Philippines Episcopal Commission on Family Life, says, uh, It's her firm belief that contraceptives will never be the answer, they are Poor, not because they have no access to contraceptives, but because they have no work. Give them work and it will be the most effective birth-spacing means for them. The government wants to pour state funds into contraceptives. They, they disregard the lack of work as a contributing factor to the poverty levels in the Philippines. Using statistics from the World Bank, the World Bank, understand, is heavily involved in forced sterilization across the world. There's too many articles out on it from their own sites, by the way, and the Rockefeller Foundation. It says the government believes that reducing the amount of uh, children will free up resources that would have otherwise been allocated to those people being born. According to the RAND Corporation, the push for family planning services have had a tremendous effect on the human population globally. It is in a massive decline. um, uh, It "It is in a massive decline that will begin to show itself beginning in an estimated 50 years. They know it's going to plummet because there's too few folk having children and a lot of people have been sterilized already without knowing it. Based on the agendas of the United Nations' fertility rates worldwide, they've fallen in underdeveloped nations, and these trends are expected to continue. Because the global elite claim that the population growth drains their economy and resources, as well as provide a costly burden to the citizens of a nation, the women of developing nations must be refocused to believe that family planning programs and contraception will improve their lives. This is all the propaganda is give them. The United Nations Population Fund provides information to coerce women into believing that any child not planned is unwanted and should be terminated. The access to reproductive services are at the center of the United Nations contention that reproductive choice is a basic human right. But there's so much sterilization going on without the folk even knowing about it through free inoculations like the so-called free phony tetanus vaccine. Yeah, it says this globalist uh, program endeavours to make reproductive rights a subversive or afterthought to supporting family planning services throughout the developing world. The services as well as the information needed to make good choices are usually provided as part of a con- constellation of reproductive health services. Now it says they adhere to the Millennium Development Goals. It's all part of it. again, the United Nations Agenda 21. Uh, to to achieve their targets by 2015. This is in July of this year, the London Summit on Family Planning, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation announced a partnership with Merck, Merck Pharmaceuticals, to bring fertility control, pharmaceuticals to developing nations. And remember too, uh, I've got another article here, if you can find it, I'll put it up tonight too, and it's from, it's a science study from from their own boys that are querying the the strange phenomena uh, that uh, uh, infant mortality is, is, goes up according to the amount of inoculations they've been given <laughs> they're killing them off folks they're killing them off <laughs> it's their own study and they know they're doing it too but this Pharmaceutical Giant Merck announced a formal statement that they will donate $25 million over an 8 year period as a Merck for Mothers campaign in line with the BMGF depopulation agenda by claiming that this initiative is to reduce maternal mortality around the world and will advance efforts to help reach the United Nations Millennium Development Goal 5, which calls for a 75% reduction in maternal mortality and universal access to reproductive health by 2015. So these are the ones that are more open about it, but as I say, the rest of them are actually sterilise them through their inoculations and so on. And the one I'll put up tonight is called Inter- Infant Mortality Rates uh, Regressed Against Number of Vaccine Doses Routinely Given. Is there a biochemical or synergistic toxicity? It's their own study into into it. So we'll see where you go with that one if you if you want. An interesting spin on the wheat phenomenon. It's all modified stuff. but uh, and It was on mainstream television, but it's a guy who's selling the book, of course, uh, Dr. Davis. But he says that so the wheat we're eating today isn't the wheat your grandma had. It's an 18-inch tall plant created by the genetic research in the 60s and 70s, he said on CBS this morning. This thing has many new features nobody told you about, such as there's a new protein in this thing called gliadin. It's not gluten. He says, I'm not addressing people with gluten sensitivities and celiac disease. I'm talking about everybody else because everybody else is susceptible to the gliadin protein that is an opiate. This thing binds into the opiate receptors in your brain and in most people stimulates appetite, such that we consume 440 more calories per day, 365 days per year. As if the farming industry could change back to the grain it formerly produced, David said it could, but it would not be economically feasible because it would its yields less per acre. Well, it's not. If he goes and looks at his own the studies that are out there, they found that it's actually a third less than, than they predicted that it actually would have. And all these uh, Monsanto crops. However, Davis said a uh, 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 movement has begun with people turning away from wheat and dropping substantial weight. So he's really pushing as a weight loss thing. Uh, three people lost eight pounds. This is a big deal. But we're seeing hundreds of thousands of people losing thirty to one hundred and fifty pounds, etc. So to avoid these wheat-oriented products, he suggests eating real food such as avocados, olives, uh, olives oil, olive oil, meats, and vegetables. He says there's stuff that's likely to have been changed by agribusiness, he said, certainly not grains. Once watching this they change your potatoes and carrots and everything else and tomatoes and yada yada. They're changing everything, folks. Because it's all part of making you die earlier and it's also part of the sterilization process. But you'll definitely get cancers out of it. And and they know that from all the studies. They're all out up right now, in fact, even the ones from Russia. They've always known this, so. But that ties in with the last article, the first article on, on basically, um, bioethics or eugenics, you see. It's not by accident. Nothing is by accident. Now, climate, uh, skeptics generally don't get much of a chance to get airtime on public broadcasting, but, because they were banned for a while, but it's back again. They're getting a chance, it says here. It says, I'm sure this will cause brain explosions over at Joe Rom's place, but also as politically correct, bought and paid for ex-buddy Brad Johnson's. It says, here's a press release from PBS, uh, followed by a, a preview video below. Coming October 23rd, 2012, Frontline explores the massive shift in public opinion on climate change. Four years ago, climate change was hot. Politicians from both parties, pressed by an anxious public, seemed poised to act, but that was then. Today, public opinion about the climate issue has cooled, and politicians either ignore the issue or loudly proclaim their scepticism of scientific evidence that human activity is imperiling the planet. What's behind the reversal? Frontline correspondent John Hockenberry of PRI's The Takeaway goes inside the organisations that fought the scientific establishment, environmental groups and lawmakers to shift the direction of debate on climate issues and redefined the politics of global warming. So you'll see uh, that going up, and I'll put this link up tonight for those who actually want to watch it when it comes out. I'll put it up at com. Another article, too, is uh, about empire-building NATO uh, style. It says, Welcome to the Billion Dollar Temple of madness and it says the former air force base near brussels dedicated to his majesty the belgian king has gradually been converted at an estimated billion dollars uh, and it says uh, to house the nerve center of the biggest war machine the world has ever known for the best part of 50 years the legions of peacekeepers have been roughing it in a so-called temporary structure having received the unceremonious order of the boot from the last late french president charles de gaulle It says, well, the God got fed up with NATO, then kicked him out, you see. So he slung NATO out, lock, stock, and barrel with a single contemptuous wave of the hand. The chief command post of the Cold War lost its reason for being in the instant that the Berlin Wall collapsed, along with the entire Soviet Empire. Yet NATO, like Topsy, just went on growing. Thanks to membership uh, multiplying amongst converts to capitalism in Eastern Europe, NATO's borders now lap Russia's with 28 members, all told, and more in the queue. This is a rather strange state of affairs, given that the former public enemy number 1, the old bogey of communism, gave up the ghost back in 1989. In normal circumstances, the spanking new structure would need to mount a telescope the size of the one topping Mount Polymer to scour the world for potential enemies. What happened, of course, is that NATO went looking for enemies under the banner of its new self-appointed role as global humanitarian protector-in-chief. The past summit office of Lord Protector, Secretary General currently occupied by the Great Dane Anders Fogh Rasmussen, NATO's very own Viking, was a fairly low-key job reserved for some generally unknown figure plucked from the obscurity of backwater politics. The best known was a Belgium a guy called Willy Claes, but only because he got the sack in 1995 after just a year in office. He was caught with his hands in the till in a famous corruption scandal concerning a huge deal involving Italian helicopters. His NATO biography airbrushes the 1984 style, uh, the facts about this. Secretary generals are above reproach, like biblical prophets. Rasmussen, on the other hand, certainly a smart, dedicated self-courting promoter, a long-time ornament of the right-wing dry, as dust as Danish politics, has acquired something of the status of a rock star in the global military-industrial firmament. He's certainly the greatest Dane since well-hans Christian Andersen. His suite of officers in the current rundown structure internationally or in- intentionally reminds us visitors of the Oval Office in the West Wing of the White House. And he goes on about the plush seat of power and so on and so on. Rasmussen regards himself as one of the most important figures on earth. And in a sense, he's perfectly correct. Certainly belongs to the. Quincec completed by the President of the United States, the military commander of SHAPE, Supreme Headquarters Allied Powers Europe, the Secretary General of the UN, and increasingly Hoover happens to be President of the EU Council of Ministers. So it goes on and on and on with some of the history of it and talking about the big shots that they've employed and the fact that they're going looking for trouble across the planet because they have to to keep for the reason for being going, even though their old reason for being for going is long gone it's a pity they weren't as well and the EU this big financial uh, non-democratic system they have, this big massive parliamentary system in Europe, the EU financial watchdog systematically sabotaged fraud investigations which they do every year, and this, this article comes out every year too this is a It says, the EU watchdog system has subsidized fraud investigations and Slim Callas is accused of putting heavy pressure on investigators to tone down findings of abuse, meaning fraud, you see. Martin Engweerda, a former Dutch member of European Court of Auditors for 15 years, who retired 10 days ago, alleged the abuse of EU frauds was swept under the carpet by an auditing body that was supposed to expose wrong- wrongdoing. There's a practice of watering down, if not completely removing criticism, he told the Dutch Volksrand newspaper yesterday. Slim Callas, European Commission's Vice President, who's responsible for it, uh, measures from 2004 and 2010 was now the EU transport chief is accused of putting heavy pressure on investigators to tone down the findings and Mr Callas also clashed with the court of auditors over the use of strict accounting standards which meant that the EU's annual accounts have embarrassingly never been, been given a clean bill of health it's utterly corrupt like every other it's not a nation what can you call it, it's like the UN it's not a nation either but they're all corrupt All nations are too. Mr. Aguirda, 67, also described an endemic cover-up culture within the court and wider EU institutions that prevented uh, the the true extent of fraud from being disclosed. He says, all these abuses never came out into the open because of the Kremlin-style information we provided, but it didn't enhance our reputation one bit, he says. The former Dutch national auditor highlighted strong pressure from France to bury a notorious fraud case involving the Frichard dairy and abuse—must be in diary of EU. Oh, it was dairy and butter export subsidies worth tens of millions uh, of euros in the 1990s. Ati threatened to resign as head of the investigation and to inform the outside world. He said. So anyway, corruption goes on, and it's the way of life is you've got money systems, and you've got uh, secretive societies running your countries, which you do. All countries do. In fact, your governments, the real governments who run run you are secrets, you understand. Read Francis Bacon's The New Atlantis, to do with America, for instance. It's not the guys you elect to run it. They're told what to do. Look at all the foundations reports. You'll see who runs the governments. And look at all the statements given by people who belong to the Royal Institute for International Affairs. They tell you that they are the parallel government, which means the real one. (laughs) Anyway, and I'll put put that up tonight too. And Europe's media goes deaf and dumb when it comes to a record high Antarctic sea level, ice, ice level. Back with more after this. Hi, folks. I'm back, cutting through the meetings. There's a caller hanging on the line. If still there is Carlton from New York. Are you still there, Carlton? Hello? Hello,
0: Mr. Watt. How you doing?
1: Not bad at all.
0: Yeah. Um, I was just thinking because you touched on man made global warming earlier. And it seems as though, like, the folks running the world, they do got, like, they have a weird sense of humor where it's They'll say it's one thing, of course, blame it on the public. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, for for global warming, for instance, they say it's the population that's causing the global warming. But things that we do, for one, we work under the system that they've built for us. For two, yes. they're the ones that geoengineering the earth and causing the warming. Yes. Well, the the, the little bit of warming that is happening, you know what I'm saying? It's basically like they create a blanket over the bag on earth and mm-hmm. keeping the warmth inside. So it's like they have a weird sense of humor. I was even listening to how I was listening to one of your older talks mm-hmm. and you said something about how you had believed that after 9-11, well after the first time um the World Trade Center got bombed in ninety three yeah. Um, the Ben Laden company came in and did the re the rebuilding, that's right. and you said that's you that's when they put the charges in. Yeah. But if that's what happened, if technically if that was what happened, technically Bin Laden did do it. It's like they have a weird way of saying well, it's yeah, one thing well, and is that.
1: Well, yeah, it was Ben Laden family uh, this, uh, that worked with the Bush corporation, the Bush family. And their job, they built underground bunkers across the world for ultra elite governments and so on, wealthy people. And they did get the contract for, for fixing the towers after the first attempt. And they had years to implant stuff uh, throughout all those towers. And, um. But uh, I don't think even Bin Laden himself was involved in that, but the rest of the family were. In fact, the day the towers came down, the group corporation, the Laden Bush Group, were meeting further down the street in New York City. Uh, they were having a business meeting that very day when it happened. How's that for irony? And, uh, and that actually happened. That was recorded too, even in the television uh, clips they showed in Canada. So, I mean, you can't make this stuff up. You can't make this stuff up at all. You're quite right. But same with the spraying. You're right, son. Uh, now the, the, we've, never, we've never had stable climate. So we get bits of warm phases for a few years, and then colder phases for a few years. In World War Two, they said it was one of the hottest summers they'd had, where the tar was men- melting on the roads in Britain and elsewhere in Europe. And, and then, of course, it went back to being cool again. Problem with the spraying is, and I've noticed this here too. The more spraying they do It doesn't just reflect heat away It traps the heat underneath it By reflecting it back and forth All the time to the ground And back to the particles Lots of folk have noticed that as well So understand from the big boys involved in it And all their thousands of mouthpieces in bioethics etc And demographics You can never expect any truth from them at all They're all on board with an agenda They must fool all of us into the reasons why they must tamper and sterilize and kill off a lot of us, and that's really the bottom line of it. And remember that CO2 itself is a a tiny fraction of so-called greenhouse gases. The greatest amount of greenhouse gases is water vapor. They never touch on that at all. So the whole art you see is to con us, con us, con us with something, if you're not well informed about it, is seemingly maybe a little bit plausible. And that's how they try and get the public to accept their own demise. We must have participate in our own destruction. That's how it's done. It's great propaganda, though, in marketing. Thanks for calling. And from Hamish myself from Ontario, Canada, it's good night to me, your god, or your gods go with you.